Luke chapter uh, 21 this evening, if you have your Bibles. Luke 21. Um, I was uh, going through some of the headlines on, on the BBC website, and I was just taken aback on how crazy our world is. Here's just some of the headlines that uh, Iranian police fire upon mourners, and this had to do with a border thing that was happening there. There were some things happening in Iran, and uh, so the Iran, I don't know if you followed this, but Iran is on the verge of some kind of revolution. Now, last time that happened in 1979, it didn't work out so well. And I don't know if they'll crush that. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they'll ask Russia to come in and help them. How that's all going to play out. The following story was that Putin watches over the first Russian nuclear drill since the Ukrainian war. Every year they test their nuclear weapons. They test their armaments. They'll fire across their own country. And he actually supervised that. This happened today. Not only that, you have political uprisings right now happening in Brazil. They're about to have an election, and so there's all sorts of tension there. The UK has just gone through their third, they just have their third prime minister now in probably as many months uh, as they've had since Boris Yeltsin had to resign. They had a woman uh, in the interim. She was so fast, they didn't even learn her name. North Korea is acting up right now, is firing nuclear weapons, and is doing all sorts of insane things that are going on in that. And and so uh, he's ramping up pressure. He's making both South Korea and Japan very nervous. And as I'm reading that, I'm thinking about this. And uh, of course, in context of the last days, And in the text we're going to read, Jesus says, pray that you have the strength to escape, or literally that you're ready to escape. There was a man who had been involved in the Lewis and Clark expeditions. His name was John Coulter. John Coulter had gone with Lewis and Clark. You know, it's a great, uh, uh, numbers of great stories there. Jefferson believed that there was a river that went north, uh, east to west that was going to connect the mid, uh, Midwest to the Pacific Ocean. And because he believed it, he thought it should be. And he, he sent Lewis and Clark to find it. And of course, there is no river. There happens to be a, a large mountain range in the way called the Rocky Mountains that make it impossible. And so as he's there looking for this, John Colton goes on this. Uh, it took years uh, for their expedition to go all the way to the Pacific Ocean and back uh, to St. Louis. Uh, and as all of that happens, he ends up staying in a little place called uh, Three Forks, which was an area of uh, that would be modern-day Missouri. 
It was also Blackfoot territory. He became a trapper. He began to work uh, and uh, as a trapper and would trade uh, with them. But one day he's out uh, and the Blackfoot, uh, a young group of Blackfoot uh, Indians surround them, kill his partner and take John Coulter hostage. They had a malicious little sport that they did. What they would do is strip down their captive, totally naked, no shoes, no clothes, and they would give them a little head start, and then they would hunt them. It's kind of a real sadistic thing. The adventurer, he knew the area, so he was actually able for 11 days to evade his hunters. He covered 300 miles in 11 days. It's incredible. One of the stories in BBC is that someone walked across Australia in 47 days. You know, it's incredible the amount that he would, and he's naked, he has no... I'm sure he he was able to get some things before he came in, but he did it to defy and got to safety. In the text we're going to read, Jesus says we need to be worthy or prepared to escape. Pray that you have enough strength to escape. Beginning verse 29, Jesus gave them an illustration. He said, notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know uh, without being told that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all of these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth that this generation shall not pass away from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my word will never disappear. Watch out that you don't lose heart, being dulled by carousing drunkenness and the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. It's like uh, like a trap, for the day will come upon every living, everyone living on the earth. Keep alert. At all times, and pray that you might be strong enough to escape the coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Jesus starts this parable out and he says, he's, ta- he's ending this discourse. Now, Luke chapter 21 is about the end times. It starts uh, back, uh, I think it's verse uh, 5, where Jesus is asked by the disciples, uh, what are the things that are going to be happening? Uh, He had just passed the temple and said it's going to be destroyed. And so they started using that as a catalyst to ask him about the end times, about what's going to happen in the earth. And Jesus begins to talk about things that are going to happen to them. He begins to talk about things that are going to happen before he comes back again to take his church away. And he begins to talk about things that are going to happen in what we know today is called the Great Tribulation. We have to identify where we are. We know around here it's fall. Now I know maybe that thermometer doesn't know that and it's been glorious but the trees do 
absolutely gorgeous. Actually, you know, New York, always upstate New York rates uh, as the highest uh, uh, leaf peaking, I think, uh, um, uh, we're in, I think we're number five, uh, and the route from Albany to Montreal is number one, uh, and then through the Catskills, two and three, I think uh, there might be one in Vermont that uh, plays in. We're number five of the top areas of the country to see the leaves change. Absolutely, stunningly Gorgeous. We know it's that season. We know not just because everybody's yard is decorated uh, with Halloween. We know uh, because when you go into any store now, there's Christmas trees set up. We know what time of year it is. Right? It's it's the fall. It's that time uh, of anticipation. Uh, They ask Jesus in verse 7, Teacher, when will these things happen? What are the signs that you will show us that these things are about to take place? And Jesus launches into a whole uh, discord about wars uh, and pestilence, which that word pestilence could be translated as pandemics. There'll be famine and earthquake, all sorts of things uh, that are going to take place in the earth uh, as a result uh, of the birth pains of the kingdom of God getting ready to come. And it's you and I who should be able to see what season we're in. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now, concerning how and when these things will happen, dear brothers and sisters, I don't really need to write unto you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord, uh, of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. We've had a few around here. You can ask them about it. And there'll be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Twice he mentions this, and every time uh, that terminology of thief in the night is mentioned in the Bible, it's talking about the rapture. It's talking about when Jesus is going to come and take away his church, uh, steal away. Uh, A thief in the night doesn't announce that they're coming. They don't write you a letter, send you a text, call you. Uh, They don't let you know ahead of time that you know what I'm going to be in your areas oh let's say uh, no 10 30 to 11 o'clock at night uh, I'm going to be coming if you don't mind leaving a window crack that would help me a little bit uh, in fact if you left the garage open that would even be better and you know you could really help me out on this I'll be by and I you know I, that's about the time thieves don't tell you that recently I've had some issues in my Backyard, so I've I actually left uh, the camera on. This uh, had to do with creatures and things, and I'm watching. And I, I didn't know in my backyard I could actually film, uh, you know, the Wild Kingdom television show. We've had deers and raccoons and skunks and and uh, groundhogs and and all sorts of things all in the same night. It's like wow, and I don't even live backed up to the forest. Actually, you know, it'd be six or seven houses that the yards that the deer would have to go through to get to the forest the quickest. 
And they're just hanging out there. They're not seemingly to be in a rush. Uh, I think this is because my wife planted some raspberry bushes and they're very interested in that and trying to get some raspberries or whatever. But things happen. Things are happening. And, and, you know, it's amazing how if you're not looking for things, you can miss them. And thief in the night is this picture here. Jesus says uh, just before our text, if, you, if we have read verse 28, uh, when he's talking about all the signs, he says, when you see all these things begin to happen, look up for your salvation is near couple of translations of that, the Amplified. Now, when these things begin to occur, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption, deliverance, is drawing near. Another translation said, when uh, these things begin to happen, look up, hold your head up high, for you will soon be free. It is easy uh, to see all these things happening uh, and get depressed about it. Jesus said, lift your head. Be excited that, you know what, this means our redemption, our deliverance is getting closer than we can imagine. He talks about the issue of the hope of escape. Our world is heading towards judgment. The Pope and the BBC, I I didn't read you that article, but the uh, Pope Francis there made a a statement that, you know what, uh, uh, pornography is destroying our, and it's even affecting now priests and nuns. And that they should get rid of their phone and such. And the scourge, they're ready, the judgment that's ready for planet Earth. The absolute immorality, the absolute inhumanity, the absolute wickedness that is permeated in every form of government, from the White House to your house, from all throughout the land, there's a judgment coming. It says in our text, Jesus says it's like a trap, for the day will come upon everyone on the earth. Keep alert that you'll be strong enough to escape those things that are going to happen. The coming horrors. If you read the book of Revelation, you may not understand it all. If you do, good on you. (laughs) Because I don't. But I understand enough to know I don't really want to be here for that. It starts out with a war. It starts out with a war that's going to be so catastrophic that a, th- that a third of the earth's population is going to die. By the time the war, the famine, and probably the fallout of the war. They're saying in Ukraine now it is not if, it is when will they use a dirty bomb. These things are happening. In the earth. We don't want to be here for it. The Bible does not promise to survive it. You know, one of the reasons I'm not into the survivalist thing. Let's store up canned food. We're going to store up that. Store up the. Store up that. One of the reasons is I don't want to be here with the people who do. They're kind of weird, some of them. 
right? These survivalists, they're real, you know, a lot of Mormons are into survivalists. Matthew chapter 24, which is a sister chapter, says in verses 39 through, uh, 37 through 39, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like the days of Noah. For in the days before the flood, the people were eating and drinking, enjoying banquets and parties and weddings, right up to the time Noah entered the boat. And the people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. The world is walking through, walking towards pending judgment, and they don't even know. They don't even consider it. They hear the message, but they don't even consider it. To you and I, it is our hope. I don't have to be here for the insanity. You think it's bad now? It's going to get really bad. God's going to give them exactly what they wanted. They want global warming? They're going to get global warming. Then they're going to get global cooling. They're going to get it all. They're going to get exactly all the things they want. Peter says these words of Noah. He says, those who disobeyed God long ago waited patiently while Noah built the boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And as we see all the signs, as we see all these things happening, we know it's the last days. You know, I mentioned this in an offering. Uh, Steve had sent it to me. Second Peter 3, 4. Then they will say, what, is the, uh, what has happened to the promises of Jesus coming again? For before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was created. CNN recently put out an article called, uh, uh, For Some Christian Rapture Anxiety Can Take a Lifetime to Heal. And it basically talks about backsliders. Rapture, the article says rapture anxiety, is, as it is often called, which I had never heard that terminology before I read the article, so I can't imagine it's often called that, is recognized by some faith experts and mental health professionals as a type of religious trauma. Darren Slade, the president and CEO of Global Center for Religious Research, has been studying religious trauma across several faiths and denominations for years. It's a real thing. It is a chronic problem, he says. It is a new area of study, but in general, our research has revealed that religious trauma leads to increased anxiety, depression, uh, and uh, even in some cases, uh, OCD-like behaviors. It's, I need to say this prayer of salvation so many times. I need to confess my sins. Now imagine, he comments, that you are taught that in any minute you could be left behind here on earth. And what are you to do if you're a teenager who has just had premarital sex? Or even simply taking the Lord's name in vain. You're backslidden. You need to repent and get your heart right. That's the problem. But see, they're mocking the rapture. Now, in some cases, I have to say, I actually uh, was looking for this article, came across uh, uh, the wonderful, upright, standing citizen, uh, Anderson Cooper, who's a nutbag and a whole bunch of other things. But anyway, you know, and he's mocking, not the rapture, but he was mocking a guy who had predicted the rapture was going to happen. And I had to say that everything he was saying, I actually agreed with him. 
because it's become this thing. But you and I know it's going to happen. Jesus is coming, and the signs are there. In our text, he gives a great warning. The warning is, you'll miss it. He makes the statement, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing, drunkenness, and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. This word carousing is interesting. It's actually the only time in the New Testament it's used. Literally speaking, it's literally a headache from a hangover. That's literally what it is. It's like, if, and if you've never been hungover, thank God, because you'd hate it. But the word had more than that connotation, which means an implied meaning. Some other translations say of this word, don't, uh, uh, you know, be overfilled with the pleasures of food. Another translation said, with too much feasting. Another translation said, with self-indulgence. Another translation said, dulled by the parties and the drinking and the shopping. What the picture there is, if you have ever seen anyone hungover, they are self-consumed. At that moment, it's all about them. My head. Oh, my head. Oh, my head. My head. My head. Stop making noise. Stop. It's all about them. This is our generation. It is all about the selfie. You don't even need someone to take your own picture. You can do it. And then you can post it online and hope that your 11 and a half followers see it. Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Timothy, Paul writes, he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there'll be very difficult times for people will love them, uh, will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. This is going to be a mark of the last days. Jesus is warning us that, yes, you may not be as consumed in your image things followers as maybe a Kardashian is. But we can let that get upon us that we begin to worry about our self-image all the time. I don't think Christians should be rude, but there's just a reality that that overconsumes people and then they begin to think more about themselves than Jesus coming. 
because it's my head, man. It's my head. The, the, the lights are too bright. The music's too loud. It's my head, man. Just stop. Just stop. Oh, wait, there's nobody else here. Because that's the picture. Self-consumed self-indulgence. It talks here about also drunkenness, which, of course, is the thought of being intoxicated, mostly by alcohol. Sipping saints become slipping saints and slurring saints after a while. But the thought here is a clouded mind. People can be drunk on ambition, lust, greed, bitterness, that they don't think right. Today, people legal, you know, my, my wife was at the bank. She told me she's in the drive up window and she's waiting, making a deposit, whatever she's doing. And the guy next to her in the truck, she says she smells the marijuana. He's by himself and he's getting stoned at the drive through window. Entertainment become a drunkenness. People can't live without it. Romans says the night is gone. Romans thirteen, twelve through fourteen. The night is gone, for the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dirty, your dark, dirty deeds like dirty clothes. I don't know if you read this. I'm going to just stop right there, add something right here that may or may not have anything to do with the sermon, but just fascinating. The man, a man died in India, 94 years old, just recently died. He had gone 50 years without cleaning himself. No showers, no bath. He actually believed soap would, would cause him to get sick. Six weeks ago, They finally convinced him to take a bath, and he got an infection and died. (laughs) Take off those dirty clothes. And put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day where we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in darkness of wild parties and drunkenness. Same word. In sexual promiscuity and immoral living. Or in quarrelsomes. And jealousies. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about the ways to indulge your evil desires. So we have people consumed with self. We have a generation that is stoned and drunk. And finally, he talks about the worries of this life. Our life can be totally consuming. And one of the realities of worrying about life, he's not talking about, you know, back in the day, they didn't have Wegmans or or Walmarts. They didn't have supermarkets. You know, in Jesus' day, they had markets for you to get food. But you, you basically had to spend a long part of your day prepping and preparing food. McDonald's and Taco Bell weren't out there. 
And so people were consumed with, you ate, you didn't have a refrigerator to go to. You had to go to the market and get another more. And it was this totally consuming thing. Also in Jesus' day, he's talking to a people that are oppressed. They have been invaded. They're under Roman rule. I've told you I lived in two countries that felt like they had been, in, that not felt like they had been invaded and had been under and oppressed by a foreign king. Both Lithuania felt that from Russia and the Irish felt that from the English. That they had been, and, and that's a, t- a tormenting thing, can over-consume uh, and begin to take. Uh, and if you get caught up in all of that, you can miss the day. I believe you should be a good citizen. You should vote. You should know some of the issues. But there's some people that you need to shoot your radio because you listen to way too much talk radio. Matthew chapter 13, 22. And the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear the word of God, but are all too quickly. The message is crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth, so it produces no fruits. A lot of things to be worried about in life. But the focus should be on Jesus and his return. I'm not saying you don't worry, oh, that engine light's on again. Let's not worry about that because we're just living, you know, take care of it. But don't be so consumed that you forget Jesus is coming. He brings out all three of these things because the danger is they're all aimed at the heart. Selfish people, it comes from the heart. Drunken people, people who are intoxicated, affects the heart. The cares of this life affect the heart. And so as these are aimed at the heart, we can begin to be so consumed with these, we miss it. We miss that Jesus is coming again. In our text, he makes the statement, stay, keep alert at all times and pray that you are strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. He starts that verse out with the thought of keep alert. Stay on guard. Know what's going on. Be aware of your surroundings. I had gone to a crusade that Pastor Mitchell was doing in Almeria, Spain, when I was pastoring in Europe. And uh, I wasn't able to bring Kerry, and it was kind of a pity. And I was walking down the street between two Dutch couples. And uh, Pastor Namdo Scoutemeyer and his wife Karina, Paul Leitemeyer, who's passed away, and his wife Diane. And we're walking down the street. It's just the five of us. And there's a drunk guy coming at us. And you could see him staggering, and he's coming at us. And I don't know why he picked me. I guess because maybe I was the guy without the girl. I don't know. But he went to hug me. He went, and I ducked out of the way and just kept walking. And they were all like, wow, that was amazing. Wow, that was good. I'm like, you guys were missionaries. Both of them were missionaries. I'm like, 
you know, you got to kind of be aware. You don't understand everything. So you have to be aware of your surroundings. What's going on? That's key to survival. It's key to us recognizing Jesus is coming back. Back in 2004, on December 26th, the third largest earthquake to ever be recorded on this planet happened in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It registered 9.1 magnitude on the Richter scale. And because it took place thousands of miles into the sea, it created waves were uh, uh, reaching thousands of feet. Walls of water coming in, hundreds of feet of water coming in, pouring into the land. It killed 227,898 people on, I believe, three, and affected three continents. One very interesting group, though, is the Molkin. They're an ethnic group that live mostly on the open seas. They, they build handcrafted boats. They fish. It is said of their children that they learn to swim before they learn to walk. And it was in them that they could see that there were problems. They saw the wave come in a normal little wave, and then the sea recede far, far beyond that which it should because of the undercurrent, the churning, and such. And as a understanding of this, they knew they needed to get to higher ground immediately. And what's very interesting is that the Molkin people, understanding the tsunami... Were totally saved. Not one of them died. A fishing village just down the street. He said the problem that they had. Is they couldn't hear. The birds. The elephants and the dolphins speaking to them. The Bernese fishermen. Didn't know how to listen. They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand the animals all freaking out. And as a result, the Burmanese were wiped out. Absolutely, tragically wiped out. Can you pay attention to what's going on around us? We're getting close to the end times. We're getting close to Jesus coming. In our text, he also says... Keep alert and pray that you're strong enough. Pray. Prayer can be our wish wish list. I understand that, Lord. I pray you'd help us with this and you'd give me this and you'd heal this and you'd send money and you'd, you know. I get that. That's part of prayer. But prayer is more than that. Because in our text, he talks about prayer as a weapon. Prayer is an absolute necessity in the last times. It's not an option. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit in all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and persistent 
in your prayers for other believers. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and be thankful. Peter says, uh, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. All of these contexts uh, have to do with being alert, being aware of what's going on, having to do with our prayer life. Not just simply, oh God, please save, please help, please heal. But there's spiritual warfare to be done in prayer. There's spiritual preparation to be done in prayer. I read the quote. I forget who said it, but I read it and I didn't put it in my notes. But it said, you know, do everything you can after you prayed. But pray first. Because the issue here is, will we escape? Will will we escape the tribulation, the things that are coming on the earth? 1 Thessalonians said, But let those who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing the helmet of the confidence of our salvation. For God has chosen to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. That the picture that Paul is bringing out is the same as Jesus, that you know what? God wants you to escape. God wants you to be ready. Dr. Timothy Clark Smith was kind of an eccentric man. He died actually in, 19, in 1893. He was a school teacher. He worked for the Treasury Department. He was a medical doctor. He had a very successful life, but he, he, he suffered from what is called severe trephophobia. And trephophobia is the fear of being buried alive. So when he died, before they put him in the grave, he had a couple of requests. One is that in his coffin was laid tools for him to get out if he had been buried alive. In his hand was a bell that he could ring and get someone's attention. But kind of the strangest thing is from the very face, a hole was put in his coffin and a tube was put in, measuring 14 inches round, straight up to the top, six feet long, with a glass on the top so that people could see whether he was alive or not. They say that through the years... The glass got clouded. The uh, things began to grow into the tube. But for many years, they said you could see his face of the skeleton with the hammer and the chisel on the ground next to him. One source claims that in his hand was the bell and he could ring it if he were to wake up and find himself buried prematurely. Now, although that's odd behavior, he was a man who said, I'm going to prepare for this. 
And if I have to escape from this, I'm ready to go. What did he lose? Apparently nothing, because he didn't escape. He was dead. I wonder if he got over the fear. Just saying. But the thought of being ready to escape. Don't let this world, the cares, the drunken, whatever it might be, consume you. That, that, that you know what, you're so caught up in whatever issues or problems there might be that you're missing that Jesus is coming soon. We're out of here soon. I don't know as soon as 20 years, but it's soon. In God's clock, maybe not your clock 20 years is soon, but to his clock it is. I don't know how long we have, but let's be ready. Let's be aware of where we are in the eternal clock and that Jesus is coming back. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here tonight. You're not right with God. That's the first and foremost call I'll make. You can be right with God. You can pray and Jesus can come into your heart and you can be changed. God can do a miracle for you. But you have to be willing. You have to be one to admit my need and say, you know what? I need Jesus. I need God to forgive me. If that's you, slip up your hand very quickly. Say, that's me. Pray for me, would you? Pastor, I need to get my heart right with God. Maybe you're here and you're backslidden. Cares of this life, drunkenness. Carousing, self-consumed. It's all about you. And you've lost your way. You've lost your salvation. The thought of Jesus coming doesn't excite you. It terrifies you. And get your heart right tonight. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. I need to get my heart right with God. Anyone at all. Changing the call then to Christians. The one thing we have to do is guard our hearts. Don't let your hearts be overtaken by carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life. Pray that you're worthy to escape the terrible horror that's going to come on planet Earth, the judgment of sin that God has been actually so patiently putting off for the chance of others to be saved. God's looking for us to be ready for that. Let's all stand. These altars are open. We're going to worship His name, give time for people to pray. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a
cast me not away. thank him tonight for all that he's doing. Father, we love you, God. We praise your name. Oh, thank God. Thank God.